Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today, saving capitalism from itself. I'll go even further. You ready for this? I guess so. A conversation with Darren Walker of the Ford Foundation. I want to challenge capitalism to do what it's supposed to do, and that is to provide opportunity. And hotel magnate Barry Sternlicht. The issue is the use. I mean, we don't use our resources very well in this country. On where politics are and where they should be headed. Plus, Saudi Aramco's woes, Tim Cook in China, and Mark Zuckerberg speaks out. I actually think this speech was dangerous. Those stories and much more. You're a billionaire, right? Uh, I've been rumored to be so. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Friday, October 18th, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Andrew by in three, two, one, two Andrew. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Osorkin along with Joe Kernan. Becky's off today, but we are Whoa. benefiting wow. because the man in the middle today, Whoa. our guest host, is Joe Lavornia. He's chief economist wow. for the Americas at the Tax and a CNBC contributor. You made it. You made really it. made it. I did. You really and made he it. did something we should say we're we're celebrating. I don't know if you celebrate. No, you don't. Are we the, uh, we're Is, talking about uh, breast cancer. Bre- breast cancer awareness day. Yeah. You're wearing a pink shirt. We're wearing the pins. That's good. Did you? Um, you I don't know if he did that on I, purpose, but we'll. I've got we'll, this sixth sense, Joe. We'll say I that can predict it was a lot purpose. of things. Economists should have that. First up on the podcast, China released its third quarter GDP numbers today, showing the economy grew only 6% from a year ago. Now, China is growing fast, but that rate is the lowest in at least 27 and a half years. China blamed weak demand overseas and at home, as well as pressure from the U.S.-China trade war. Meanwhile, yesterday, Thursday, Apple CEO Tim Cook met with the chief of China's market regulator in Beijing, where they reportedly discussed expanding his business in the country, consumer rights protection, and corporate social responsibility. This follows controversy last week after Apple pulled an app that was used to help Hong Kong protesters track police movements. Uh, Eunice Yoon, who is, I believe, in the same town where Tim Cook is, right now in Beijing. I know what Apple did relative to, to that app in Hong Kong. Apple and Tim have not, been, have not been any more outspoken, though, on this issue. I mean, this is sort of a... I, I imagine they've been very quiet in, in the way that many NBA players have been quiet. Well, it, it, um, you mean here, Cook yeah. has not said anything. And when we, we called Apple... Um, and Apple declined to comment on on his visit at all. So uh, social, on social media, there hasn't been a whole lot about his his uh, visit because um, they just Apple hasn't been very vocal about it. Um, actually, this is different from the latest from the NBA. Actually, it was pretty interesting because as you you guys are probably are going to talk about it later, but um, yeah. Adam Silver, right. NBA's chief. Um, was quite vocal, saying that uh, the Chinese government ended up pressuring them to try to um, get um, Daryl Morey fired. And in fact, the Chinese government (laughs) hit back at that today, which was a little unusual. And the foreign ministry had said that uh, they, in fact, did not 
make such a demand. In other words, saying that uh, from their perspective, uh, Silver wasn't very truthful. I, I, I was going to, I was alerted that on, on a groundbreaking Twitter site called at Yoon TV. Uh, I, I saw that earlier. That's your, that's your, uh, oh, but I saw it. Only Yoon TV. And I wondered about that. I, I, Adam, you know, Adam Silver could have, I mean, maybe he, uh, you know, maybe he paraphrased what they were saying, or maybe he summarized what they were saying. But there's, you're telling me there's nothing to what he's saying that uh, the Chinese came out, uh, the foreign ministry said, no, in no way did we tell him to fire uh, Daryl Morey? I mean, he said that that's what happened. So I can't imagine he just make that up. Right, but it's difficult to say because he hasn't said he hasn't said which officials he spoke to. Um, so if the foreign ministry said that they spoke to the relevant department, but you know there are a lot of layers within the government, so it's not exactly clear who he spoke to. And you know, but uh, yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult to know uh, who yeah. to believe. Maybe LeBron but, um, told him to fire. You know, I think uh, that maybe, maybe he'll Le- end up. Maybe LeBron said fire. <laughs> Can I actually related to that, the Eunice? A lot of CEOs you talk to, especially U.S. CEOs, often say that they get messages from, and I, I, I'm doing air quotes, from the Chinese government or, or what they think the government wants. And so, but but the, it's not always direct. What do you think that means? It's um, often indirect. Yeah. So uh, one of the big complaints uh, among American companies is, uh, you know, there, there might be some uh, reform, but then, and, and they're trying to take advantage of it, for example, but then um, there's like another agency that does something or says something as a warning. So there are a lot of different ways in which the government can message. So, for example, if they don't want a, um, a company to be expanding their business in a certain area, they might um, just kind of warn them about a, a fire inspection or about a license that they're not going to be able to get, or they're fi- they find like there are different ways in which um, uh, American executives find they're being warned without actually being outright warned by the government. Do you know what I mean? It's not so direct. Right. That's that's a, a major complaint that a lot of executives here have. Okay. Yunus uh, Yun, thank you for that report. Uh, meantime, Joe Lavornia is here as our special guest host throughout the program. Your thoughts on how this changes the, the game one way or the other? On the GDP side, forget whether the numbers are accurate. The trend is lower. Right, right. Uh, there's no question about that. The trend is lower. The delta is negative. We called it low gear. Low gear. But here's, 6% is not low gear. But, but what do you re- you, in the past, so, you've said that might be 2%, haven't well, you? It could, it's lower. I don't know how much lower. But it's the rate yeah. of change that matters. It could be. But the thing about China, there's two problems with China. Number one is they've got structural issues. They've got no total factor productivity growth, which is a fancy way of saying innovation. And secondly, they've got very bad demographics because of the one-child policy. So structurally, they've got issues. Cyclically, they've also got issues because they've overinflated uh, their banking system with shadow money and excessive lending, and also the fact they had export-led growth, and they had overcommitment to fixed assets, uh, commercial and residential real estate. So to me, China has is, is got some real problems, and I don't see that economy turning in any meaningful way higher. We have some news to bring you, but it's almost like you could grab the tape of me saying this probably several times before. Saudi Aramco now announcing it is delaying its IPO again. Two sources say the company hopes that the third quarter report will will bolster investor confidence after it was jolted by last month's attacks on Saudi oil facilities. The Q3 report will cover the time period of the attack in the immediate aftermath. The Wall Street Journal reporting the new IPO date will likely now be December or January. 
That report says that some fund managers, including Fidelity, uh, had been frustrated by the lack of clarity provided in pre-IPO disclosure information. Disclosure and transparency has always been the issue around this offering. And this offering, we should also note, is taking place in Saudi on the local exchange. It's not somewhere like London or the New York Stock Exchange or the Nasdaq but here do they need- where you're going to need to have the same level of transparency. So, But do they need our... Do they need... They need our dough? Yeah. They need a little bit of our dough. Just More a than just bit. a little bit. Well, what they're trying to do, as we've talked about, is they're trying to credentialize the company right. by actually floating just a small amount of the company, but to try to capture a valuation of at least $1.5 trillion, if not more. They're saying that's on the low end, hoping that then in a year they can come to New York, excuse me, New York or London or, or okay. elsewhere and try to raise so, more money. to say that, yeah, it was the attack on the oil facilities... Or it was also affected by WeWork. It probably was not affected by WeWork, although the window has well, closed. Well, the, the, yeah, the IPO market, right? market. Is that part of what happened here? More. I want to think that the WeWork thing is had nothing to do with it. Don't you think? I do, but I think that the, the IPO market got it's much people, tougher here. People have gotten more skittish, right. broadly speaking. And I, I would think, think that true. even that. But this seems like such a different. Right. Th- th- people right. have been skittish about this particular right. IPO because there's so many embedded issues. Still got to raise money, though. And you got to raise money. Still got to raise. I mean, yeah. it's still, how you know how, how free and easy the money is, and whether you think you're gonna, you know, you don't, no one wants to lose their ass on an IPO, do they? I mean, I can do that in the regular markets. You know, you buy an IPO, yeah. it's like they ought to price it so that the guys that get in that you don't start with a twenty percent. Well, loss. with interest rates as low as they are, you could go get a yeah. get a loan. Still and, could, but you don't want to lose. Buy it. some oil. Mark Zuckerberg was at Georgetown University yesterday defending Facebook's light touch on policing its political content. Here's what we had to say. We are at another crossroads. We can either continue to stand for free expression, understanding its messiness, but believing that the long journey towards greater progress requires confronting ideas that challenge us. Or we can decide that the cost is simply too great. And I'm here today because I believe that we must continue to stand for free expression. Okay, joining us right now to discuss this and more, Joanne Lippman, Distinguished Journalism Fellow at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton and a CNBC contributor. Also, Megan Morris is here, Senior Financial Reporter at Business Insider. Uh, I'm going to start with the Distinguished Fellow. It's nice to see you. Nice um, to see you. There's been a lot of critique of this. You go on Twitter. I don't know if you call them trolls or not, but people were sort of unhappy with this speech. Were you happy with this speech? I was not on Twitter, but I will tell you, I actually think the speech was dangerous. Dangerous? I, I do, I do. He was really making a lot of false equivalencies here. He was saying we need free expression versus, say, China, which censors free expression. But it was a false equivalency because what he was talking about, he was making reference to Martin Luther King and the importance of free speech, to Vietnam War protests. But... The issue we have is that Facebook has come out and said that we will not fact check political ads, which means we will allow politicians to lie, to spread misinformation, to spread hatred. That is very, very different than the free expression that allows um, political protest, right? There's, there's nobody out there who is saying, uh, in the United States, who is saying that we want to stifle free expression of political viewpoints. But what he's saying is we are going to allow lying. And you would want to err on the side of, you know, we're all big boys and big girls and, and you know, we can see things that we don't like. And we don't. I mean, the, the opposite is that 
the echo chamber. But Joe, where but we're all are, living in our own worlds, to, only I, listening I to things. Twitter, and I, I, went, I went as well, you were Twitter to look at cesspool. <laughs> well, but here, look, he 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 cited um, Martin Luther King. Right. Martin Luther King's daughter went yes. on Twitter yesterday and said, "I heard Mark Zuckerberg's free expression speech in which he referenced my father." I'd like to help Facebook better understand the challenges that MLK faced from disinformation campaigns launched by politicians. These campaigns created an atmosphere for right. his assassination. Right. And, and that's my point, which is that what he is talking about is not free expression of political ideas. What it's doing is allowing sort of the hatred, the lies, the, 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 that sort of misinformation that we were trying to crack down on in the 2016 election. You don't think that, that someone yesterday used the horse left the barn or something. I use uh, you know, toothpaste, toothpaste out, out, of out of the tube. tube or Is the toothpaste out of the tube? Already out of the well, tube. let's not forget that just a couple of years ago, back in 2016, Mark Zuckerberg was learning Mandarin, was thinking about entering the Chinese market, and the New York Times reported at the time even considering a tool for speech suppression, um, a tool that could be used by third parties to prohibit certain Facebook posts before they were even posted. Um, so kind of going beyond just a moderating role um, for Facebook. So this is a calculated move at a certain point in time, but this has not been Facebook's MO for the last couple so of years. So he was willing to, to over in China to play. Freedom of speech now, but yeah. when but the markets yeah. indicated that, 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 that might like have been. That sounds athlete. like the NBA. That sounds like the NBA. I hear what you're saying. How do you th- go about doing it? I mean, this whole issue about right. fake news and people manipulating facts, and I'm not taking, I'm not either pro or, 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 or anti-Facebook, but how would they even go about doing what you'd propose, assuming that they, they were trying to sort of arbitrate what's, what's fact and so fact? I think this is a wonderful question, and Joe, I think you're getting to the heart of the, the real question about Facebook, which is, should Facebook be considered a publisher? If it is considered a publisher, it becomes responsible for the content and legally liable for the content right. that it that it publishes. Um, currently, it is not considered right. a publisher. It's considered more like you'd like it to be a wires. publisher. That would solve the problem. Eunice, well, Eunice, I don't know that that would. Eunice just asked me, "Hey, you guys are talking about Facebook. What what did you just say? We just went off. We just went off the air. Really? Because of what you just said." That's interesting. Why but it's that? fine. CNBC went off the... So because they're a monitor Because of what China. you were saying. But there's no problem over there. It's fine. It's, it's great. It's great. That's what, My goal it's, is to be moderated. That's what Joanne wants nice. here. That's what she wants here. So, this is a longer all. debate. Please come on back. It was Maybe nice we can have, have that here. We, we actually have to go to a, a commercial, if you can imagine that. Joanne and Megan, thank you. And Joe Lavornia, thank you. Thank you, guys. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, Barry Sternlich the hotel entrepreneur and original founder of W Hotels, on the political rhetoric about capitalism. I am not a socialist. Most of the countries that started there, maybe Russia, they went to vodka before they went to healthcare. Back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Stand, Andrew, by in three, two, one. Cue, Andrew. 
Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC on a Friday morning. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan. Becky's off today. In studio, though, we got Barry Sterling. He's the chairman and CEO of Starwood Capital Group. He's going to be hanging out. You're not going to hold back. You're going to tell us everything, oh, right? It's going to be, it's going to be something. To Good morning. He's Vietnam. got nothing to lose. He's loaded. He's ripped. Let's go. Barry Sternlicht built Starwood Hotels and Resorts, the umbrella for brands like St. Regis, Weston, W Hotels, and many more, from a small real estate investment trust into a multi-billion dollar hotelier. The company later merged with Marriott, but that's a different story. For now, here's what you need to know. Barry is the chairman and CEO of Starwood Capital Group, which has over $60 billion in assets under management. He's also chairman of the largest commercial mortgage real estate investment trust in the U.S., which is publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange, and he's on the board of Invitation Homes, another publicly traded real estate company. Sternlicht is CEO and chairman of One Hotels, the sustainable and luxurious brand with locations around the U.S., and one with a very nice view in Brooklyn if you're a local. He's built businesses through the dot-com boom and bust and through the housing crisis. He's wealthy, he's outtspoken, and he's a frequent guest of Squawk Box. All right, let's start. Where do we start? Where Where do do you want to start? start? So I I listen to your show all the time. I I listen to Leon on on Wednesday, and I love him, and I think he did a great job. Yeah? Disagree with anything he said? Well, okay, I think there's a couple of points. I mean... I think everybody wants universal health care. I think it's a great idea. But the problem with the program was it didn't address the cost of health care. So I think when you talk about all this taxing the wealthy and the the rich, I think a lot of people, including Lee said, I'll pay more taxes. I feel the same way. But I think it's the same issue. It's how do they use the revenues? Would you allow this government in this form to continue to tax and tax and tax? And we have a trillion dollar deficit, right? But... The issue is the use. I mean, we, we don't use our resources very well in this country. So we have a, the, you know, a, a defense budget that's seven times the, or more than the next seven countries combined. Yep. Um, and, and we have an a edu- education system that's ranked, like, I think, in 37 in the world. I mean, we, we would, if we could feel like our money, our tax revenues were being used in a smart way, I mean, the country really needs a CEO at this point in time. The country needs somebody to say, these are our key objectives. This is what we're trying to accomplish. You know, we have an 800, 700, 800 billion dollar defense budget. Right. Do we need it? You're a billionaire, right? Uh, I've been rumored to be so. So I agree with you right. that you want the money to be better spent. We all want the money to be better right. spent. It is, it is being misspent right. every single day. You just said you would like to have a CEO be present right yep. now. Yep. So my question to you is, here's the issue. Absolutely, by you, the way. So you have President Trump. Who is a CEO? So I don't know if you're saying you're supporting that. You look at, at the Democratic field right now, and it is not a group of CEOs. All right. And so what do you do? So, I, 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 so you know, I, I, what do you do? You have a big problem, right? 43% of the voter bloc is independent and doesn't have a party. So as the, as the independents grow, because the moderates move to the middle, which is where the majority of the country is, there's nobody representing them. What's left in the two parties, which are the ones that hold the stage, are the extremists of both sides. So 43%, 28%, 29% Democrat, 25 26% Republican. The 43% is lost in space. That's me. I don't have anywhere to go. With this the election, is, by the, way, so the, polar, the extremes are, are so far apart. Uh, you know, I am not a socialist, right? I, I will, no, I know, I will, I I will never vote for... I mean, this nonsense that Bernie Sanders throws out is completely ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And there's no system in the world you can look at that has ever worked like that. 
it won't work. Right. I mean, actually, the, most of the countries that started there, maybe Russia, they went to vodka before they went to healthcare, right? I mean, they, 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 these countries are, they don't function well. I mean, countries like France, I mean, their, their healthcare system is ranked in top five. They right. spend one-fifth of what we spend. So, I mean, you, if you're a CEO, you benchmark against the best in class right. in each vertical, education, healthcare, and then you start over. You look at what, all the money we're spending, what do we need to do? I mean, you think about our so military. Look, it was they, built for uh, before right. we had technology, so before we had drones and everything else. Unless you think that Michael Bloomberg is coming, and I don't know if you would support Michael Bloomberg. I totally support my wife. You know, I supported Howard Schultz. So, so without without one of those candidates and Jeb Bush, by the way, what do you think happens? And where? where um, I don't think you know what's going to happen. I, I really don't know what's going to happen. I, I think you have you have the possibility of an holy an, an alliance of kids around the environment, which is a big issue for me. Right. Not for Joe. Um, the environment's a huge issue for me. CO two is not a huge issue. For okay, me. right. So I mean, we don't, have you to. Know, don't, we, don't don't tell me what my issues are, and then. I, 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 okay, CO two. Relax. You don't know what's going to happen, and I I don't think you even know who the candidate's going to be right now. So you know, there are some Democrats I I think I could support. Like, Buttigieg. 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 Get his name right if you're. I, I can't. Him. Well, I I just think he's smart. He'll figure it out, and he seems like a good guy. He's, he's so, pretty. Um, he's pretty. He's impressive. He's, no, he is, but he's got. If you look at his actual policies, they're not moderate. No, but I can't tell what he's doing. Like, they're all these they're not guys moderate. are making it up. Right, and, and you don't know how they govern. Uh, That's true. Because they've got to win the nomination. But look, look we, we, you know, I, I agree with some of Donald's policies, so I'm not 100%, totally. right? I mean, I think his situation with... The, the issue is, you know, you, we talk about the middle, and yeah. everybody always thinks they're in the middle, right? And it seems like, you know, we often talk about this idea that people are fiscally conservative socially. and socially liberal and that right. that is like the majority of the country. And when you look at these polls, it's actually, and I don't know if I believe the polls, but the polls suggest the opposite, actually, that people are fiscally liberal and socially conservative, that, that, that it's actually moved. I'll show you some. We can do it during the commercial break, right. but it's sort of a phenomenon. That's well, I want, you've got businesses everywhere. I want to hear how they're, yeah. how they're yeah, doing. We'll are they okay? Or let's talk later. We're teasing next. Stand Andrew by. Up and Andrew. Hugh. When we return, the question of the morning, is capitalism in crisis? I think we can say the answer is yes, but we got some answers about it now. Darren Walker is going to be joining us. Ford Foundation president. What's up? Is it? The answer is yes? Well, there's a question mark. I know. There's a question mark, but you just answered it? it. Well, I'm well saying, take out the question mark then. Darren Walker is going to be here, one of the best to discuss this very topic, his plan to have an economy work for many and not the few. Squawk Pod. We'll be right back. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. 
You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. It's capitalism uh, in crisis, question mark. I say no. Uh, Andrew already answered that as yes. Uh, that's what makes, the obviously, the world uh, go round. Uh, our next guest penned a piece on how to save capitalism from itself in this month's issue of Fast Company. Uh, joining us now is that author, Darren Walker, president of the Ford Foundation. Of course, our guest host, uh, Starwood Capitals. Uh, it's right in his name, Starwood Capitals, uh, Barry Sternlich. So maybe you can break the tie, although uh, Daryl might, uh, might put it back to a tie. So, Daryl, you run the Ford Foundation, and, and it's, it's philanthropic. A lot, of, a lot of philanthropy comes from guys that succeed in, in their guys and gals that succeed in, in the private sector. So uh, I would start with that. And the other thing is, and I agree with you with this, is that if you look at inequality of opportunity, in the United States. That's what we want to fix. And that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about simple redistribution. If we want to do that, and we want the government to help us do that, I would think capitalism has to be the engine that supplies the tax revenues to the government, which allows us to equalize opportunity. So I don't think we're really talking about capitalism and changing that. I think we're talking about uh, ways of, of equalizing opportunity. Have I got that wrong? Well, I think we are talking about the American dream. The American dream has been made possible by a capitalist system that has produced shared prosperity. Right. So people like me, who start out with being the first to go to college, a grandfather who was basically illiterate, and today I'm certainly in the 1%. That was made possible because we had an economy that made it possible for me to receive an education, to have scholarships provided by private philanthropists, and then to work in a market that rewarded me for my entrepreneurship and my, uh, my hard work. All sounds good so far. So far the, challenge, the challenge, <laughs> the challenge so today yeah. is that that mobility escalator that I, have, right. that I got on, and that probably most of you got on, has stopped. And in fact, that American dream as we know it, which was the envy of the world, is no longer the envy of the world. In fact, the United States has fallen behind other industrialized nations in terms of economic mobility. So if you want the American dream today, you ought to move to Canada, because Canada is doing better than the United States on economic mobility. So they Why still have a capitalistic system in Canada. Indeed, and, and, and exactly. So What's the they've re- got a capitalist system, and they are doing better than us okay. on providing so opportunity. So you want to work around the edges of capitalism. I want to challenge capitalism to do what it's supposed to do, and what, that what is broke? to provide opportunity broke? for okay. as many people. But th- this sounds like it has to do with, with uh, more with tax policy than capitalism itself. Well, the relationship in a democratic capitalist system is always one of the relationship between public policy and the markets. That's, that's our system. Okay, and but I still don't understand how you, you're not saying that you want to pursue a different system than capitalism. You're saying you oh, want to change tax want, policy want, and work the capitalist system so that it equalizes opportunity again. Or yes, returns I, to, okay, I would so like, what do we do? I mean, what, what's well, we, the answer? We do have to talk about tax policy. Right. Well, that's, we, what, that's we really to, what all we're talking we, about. Here. Well, it's not all we're talking about, because okay. at the end of the day, we, opportunity isn't enough if we have a system where there is bias, where there is discrimination. That has nothing to do with capitalism. Where, well, it, it doesn't have anything to do with capitalism, but it does have something to do with public policy okay. and the system in which 
We right, but our whole premise is, is capitalism in crisis. So I, that's why I keep coming back to whether. I, I, to my mind, the question isn't, is capitalism in crisis? It's, is the American dream still possible? Okay. That's a and totally so, different... What went wrong? You won't answer the question. What went wrong? What went because wrong? you would say America is far more interested in discrimination is a, is a better, I would think, a better nation today than it was 100 years ago on all Absolutely. these... Absolutely. We had affirmative action. We did all these programs. I mean, what, where did it go off the rails in your mind? Well, I certainly think that we've got some policies that were designed into the system that have made it harder for people to get on that mobility escalator. Right. So public schools that have continued the to not... The of public schools. Exactly. Right. Public schools. A criminal justice system yep. that ensnares too many people of color, for Very example. Right? <laughs> so there are a number of ways in which we have in our system ways that, that reduce opportunity. So it is both the policies that produce these outcomes and it is the culture that enables the policies and that in fact reaffirms some of the discriminatory patterns that we all know exist in our society. I'll go even further. You ready for this? I guess so. No, no. If you think about what he's saying, and this actually does have to do with capitalism and the the power and influence of American corporations, if you go and look at the political donations of American corporations from the treasuries of these companies, not I'm talking biggest companies in America, and you look at who they historically support, they historically support Republicans and Republican governors associations and the like, right? And if you really look at the kinds of at, at at the positions that those people have taken. And they're often making the, they're often supporting those individuals because of tax policy and things that will benefit the company. But the other related policies that those individuals have actually don't help with the bias issue, that, with the sustainability issue, with protecting LGBT rights, but with all of those other things. They're actually the antithesis of that. And so if you think about the money that's being spent in that way and the influence that that has. Meanwhile, you have, I mean, the Ford Foundation also has influence, right? You, you, you give money to all sorts of different organizations, too. We don't give political contributions, but we absolutely support organizations that have a, a, an opinion about policy. So, for example, what happened to those profit-sharing plans for workers? My grandfather had a third-grade education. He worked as a porter for an oil company down in Texas, where I'm from. But when he retired, because of the profit-sharing program of that company, he retired with enough stock to live a, a, a life of dignity. Today, those programs don't exist anymore. What happened to those programs? Why do we not have employee profit-sharing programs anymore? That used to be a feature. That was part of the public policy, the private policy, corporate policy, that made it possible. What happens if I said to you that part of this issue... What happens if I said to you that the... I'm going I'm to go crazy. I'm going to go in a totally different direction. What if I told you that the American dream was an historical aberration? That the, the, that, the, I, that the mobility that you're looking and that we all talk about, the sort of mobility that took place between the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, which was effectively the sort of leave it to beaver American dream where, where uh, there was plentiful uh, uh, outcomes for, for all. That if you look in 1980 when wages start to stagnate yep. and you say to yourself, why did this happen? Is it really because the American dream is dead, or is it because for 50 years after, post, after World War II, the rest of the world was completely out of business? Yeah. We were a monopoly power with monopoly rents. We could afford to lift boats in ways that uh, were almost artificial. 
And come 1980, when wages start to stagnate, Japan, Germany, the rest of the world comes on comes online, if you will, and all of a sudden we're now competing with them. Oh, and, and yeah. we're exporting them our our manufacturing, right? Because my father ran a factory in Norwalk, Connecticut, right? They made flashlights. Walmart says, "I want that flashlight for two dollars." He can't make it for two dollars in Norwalk with his immigrant workforce, all carded, by the way, and. And so he exported, he went to Hong Kong, first trip to Hong Kong, sure. found a Chinese manufacturer because Walmart wanted, and what, so I, I've been thinking about this because I think what happened, right? Walmart has one and a half million workers in the United States. They're 1% of the workforce. So they manufacture all these goods because we consumers in this country wanted to buy our Nike sneakers for $100 for the last 30 years. Right? We kept exporting it to different lower labor markets. I think the new business roundtable uh, discussion around yeah. The multiple right. stakeholders is, yes. is actually pushing capitalism in the right way. I think it's certainly right. got a seat at the table today, which you hadn't heard in the last decade really as much about employees. And, and the inequality discussion is real, and it's a real challenge for the country. It's a big well, but problem. I think the news from the BRT is actually great news. Great so news. they, in fact, rejected right. the idea of shareholder primacy and talked very specifically about stakeholder a paradigm, which includes, of course, shareholders at the top. But what about workers, customers, uh, the communities uh, where you uh, live and work? All of these stakeholders uh, have to be given some say. So if it's only the activists, only the shareholders, we're always going to be extracting from the company the value that might go to other stakeholders. We also need to separate crony capitalism and corporatism from, from what capitalism really espouses in, it, in its core. Yes. And what it really espouses is that, you know, that, that the means of production is better served when it's left in, in the private sector rather. And that's really all it says. All these other ancillary things that we're talking about, as it gets, some of it is, is anti-capitalism. Crony capitalism. Corporations controlling, uh, you know, through lobbying, controlling the government. That's not what well, that wasn't what Adam Smith had no, in mind. No, You're absolutely no. right. So if you go back and look at what we're actually talking about, that's why I think the answer is that in crisis is no. I think that every generation needs to be educated on, on, on the benefits and, and how, what really, if you look at how the world has changed since, cap, since you were able to own an idea back in whatever it was, the 17th century, once property rights and being able to benefit from your own success... Once that became something you could do, that's when you saw incomes rise. Well, every generation has a challenge, and the challenge of our generation is inequality. And if we continue to have the levels of inequality that we have in this country, it is going to be harmful for our long-term democratic interests. Darren, thank you. Thank you. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening to Squawk Pod. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. New U.S. tariffs kick in today on $7.5 billion worth of goods from the EU products, such as cheese and whiskey. Sounds like uh, what I had planned uh, for later tonight. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older. Like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.